Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This week's guests are former Ohio State basketball player David Lighty and BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh my Enthusiasm! All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by former Ohio State Buckeye Hooper and longtime professional basketball player as well. It is David Lighty. You can track him down on Twitter at OSULighty23. David, how's it going, man? How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad, man. No, we're here relaxing, getting ready to start up the season, see uh, how, how's it going with this uh, COVID stuff and everything. Yeah, so you're overseas now, uh, over in France, I believe, and, you know, appreciate you jumping on at a late hour over there, uh, not so late in the afternoon over here in Chicago. But uh, first off, just take us through everywhere you've been since leaving Ohio State almost a decade ago now and, and kind of take us through your professional journey, if you could. Yeah, a decade. Wow, yeah, yeah. Time is flying for sure. I still remember committing to Ohio State. So, yeah, a decade out. Uh, but my first year out, uh, I played in Cantu, Italy. Uh, it was a great experience, probably uh, – 20, 30 minutes north of Milan, Lake Como, a uh, beautiful place. You can see the Swiss Alps and everything. So so my experience overseas for my first year was, was amazing to be in a great place like that in a great location uh, and with a great team and playing at the highest level in uh, EuroLeague. So uh, it, it was definitely something that, that popped my eyes open to the different culture and everything, uh, you know, that was new to me. Uh, but it was a, a experience that I embraced for sure. And then um, after that, uh, I've been in France basically the next eight years of my career and one more stint, one more year in Italy, I, I went back. But uh, other than that, yeah, I've been France and Italy the past uh, 10 years, this whole decade. So uh, some great cities, man. I lived in Paris for two years and played, won a couple championships there. And now uh, – I'm going on my sixth year here in, in Lyon, kind of southeast of uh, uh, in the country of France. Yeah, I was going to test my French out real quick because I took it in high school. I was going to say, not bad places to be, like you mentioned, Italy and France, and, and my last name is French. So I uh, looked up your team. Is it Virabon? How do you pronounce it? <laughs> Villabon. Villabon, okay. So Villabon. I, I guess I, uh, my, my teachers would be disappointed. I'm, I'm already failing. A post-grad test. Nah, like I'm still struggling. I'm mad at myself, though. I should. I still speak fluent by now. I at least know Leon, right? So that's that's a good uh, good spot to be, I assume. What's the lifestyle like over there right now with, you know, like you, you kind of touched on it with COVID, and, and it seemed like when I was talking to guys and uh, people on the podcast months ago when overseas was kind of ahead of us in the progression as far as you know the, yeah. the virus being serious and it kind of shutting down society and then now it's it's reverse right like we're still kind of locked in over here and I feel like I see images overseas where things are opened back up so how, how's it going uh with the pandemic overseas um not too bad I will say this area right now in France is one of the higher risk areas but it's still like you said it's not like uh in the states right now so for sure I'm in a uh pretty calmer situation but um it's still mass mandatory uh social distancing and uh things of that nature still 
probably what no clubs or like pubs really open. Uh, so it, it's progressing slowly but surely, but still for sure, it's something that uh, that is really you know highly uh, talked about and people have to be aware of it. Yeah, well, hopefully we get basketball back. It's kind of like it looks like we're gonna get hoops back over here. It looks like they're progressing, you know, toward yeah. a relatively normal season. Um, but I, I do want to hear a little more about your overseas career because, like, whenever I have former overseas hoopers on the podcast, it's one of my favorite things to ask about. Like, I feel like the wildest stories come from playing and the culture shock that comes along with it and the way fans react. I feel like you got to have something from over 10 years overseas, something unique that maybe uh, you tell people when they ask what it's like playing in, uh, in Europe. Culture shock would probably be the biggest thing, I would say. Like I said, I've been in, in great cities, so – it hasn't been that big of a change. You know, I was, like I said, 20 minutes from Milan. So it's a lot of tourists. So people speak a lot of English. I lived in Paris for two years and for sure, it's a lot of English going on there. And London was two hours away by train, an hour by flight. So you would always hear it, you know, walking on the strip or, you know, being in the center of Paris. And then Lyon is, you know, the second or third biggest city in France. So it's the same here as well. Then, uh, you know, different students and things like that studying abroad. So pretty much every week I'll, I'll see somebody from the States or, you know, just walking around and you hear it and, you know, you kind of like catch on like, oh, you know, they're speaking English. But uh, from that aspect, I mean, it, it's not really too much for me because, like I said, I've been in good cities other than uh, the culture shock and trying to embrace the culture and, you know, the ways of life that they have over here is definitely more calm and relaxing more than uh you know the fast pace in america how about like the crowds or or referees or, or anything okay this bad one. soccer you know like i feel like over there i've heard stories about you know for sure okay in that out. aspect in that aspect for sure it's night and day so like uh they have two teams in serbia that are the biggest teams partisan and red star we pull up to the gym you pretty much got basically SWAT team is out there waiting for you, you know, riot gear, uh, AK-47s, uh, batons, and uh, everything uh, with the mask and all that stuff, uh, just pretty much basically for crowd control. So just to imagine um, a college section 10 times modified with a bunch of 20 to 40-year-old uh, grown men who've been drinking beers all day. <laughs> so... It's definitely a different uh, experience uh, as far as that, like uh, with the fans and, and how they react and literally singing and chanting and screaming all game long. But uh, I love that aspect of it. Got some basketball hooligans over there. Um, no, for sure, for sure. So another little wrinkle in your professional basketball career has been your involvement with Carmen's crew. Have you been on every addition to Carmen's crew like you were on the one that got the bag in 2019 right yeah yeah I have I was with four years dang I didn't realize it yeah it's been four years so we're one out of four not too bad not too bad I think we messed up the first year we kind of we kind of let that one slip away I think that that would have been our uh, our biggest one that we were probably well no this one last year we, we probably regret the most yeah I was gonna say um you know obviously guys won one year that's that's all well and good but I'm, a, I'm an Illinois guy, so when I saw House of Pain <laughs> up with Carmen's crew, like those are some of my old neighbors and guys like that from college, and you know I just had to give it to you a little bit. 
uh, falling in the first round to, to the House of Pain. Yeah. What happened? What happened there? And it's, it's acceptable. It's a part of the game, man. When you go out there and you play, you got to show it on the court. A lot of things, uh, you know, doesn't work out like you want it. You know, it looks good on paper, but that's the beauty of sports. And that's the beauty of a tournament, uh, I think. That's why the TBT is so great. You know, if you don't come to play, just like the NCAA tournament, you know, one game slip up and it's over for you. I mean, you guys were kind of pioneers with the TBT, the basketball tournament, being really the first, you know, live basketball that we saw post or during the game. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was like three or four months with, without live basketball. They were the first ones, yeah. Yeah. So, so did, I mean, they did a good job of basically creating the bubble. And literally the NBA followed suit after that. So do you think Carmen's career is going to be back? I assume it'll be back in some form. Will Aaron Kraft be back? Like, What's it going to look like going forward after you got bounced this year? Uh, I mean, for sure, we can't go out like that. So I'll say it right now for sure. I'm coming back. So we'll see about everything else. You know, Kraft is about to be a doctor. It's going to be an amazing one. So uh, we'll see what's going on with his studies and how things are going on, you know, with COVID, I guess, you know, by the time this comes back around next year. And uh, I think we'll be able to force him to play, you know, a couple weekends. He'll be able to be free. So he's a big part of uh, everything that we do. So uh, for sure, we're working and talking to guys and see, uh, you know, what type of team we can build again for next year. Yeah, seeing all those guys back together does bring back so many memories, I'm sure, for Ohio State fans. Even for me, somebody who kind of watched those teams growing up. Um, and, you know, talking to you now brings back memories of those squads because you were kind of a, a bridge between two eras of, of Buckeye basketball under Thad Mata, you know, your freshman year, you guys were unbelievable. You were part of that recruiting class uh, with Greg Oden and, and Mike Conley. And then you had the injury and, and got a fifth year. And then your senior year, you had another unbelievable year with some really nice years in between your freshman and senior year. So how do you kind of rank those two years that bracketed your college experience, you know, knowing you had a bigger role, maybe on that senior year team, but your, your freshman year team had all that hype coming in? Uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's so many different dynamics uh, to each team. And then, like you just said, me getting hurt and getting a fifth year, you know, that never would have happened, you know, if I didn't get hurt. So it's like, you know, gifting a curse with everything. Um, so it's, it's tough to rank them, but I for sure would have to say my freshman year because we made it all the way to the finals. Um, I think, uh, my senior year, I'm still a little mad about it. I think I watched the Kentucky game once. And uh, we, we kind of got the bad straw, even though we got the number one seed, we still probably had the hardest route to, to get to the finals. Uh, but, I mean, that's like I said, it's the beauty of the tournament. We played off a little bit one game, and yeah, that's what happens. Uh, Brandon Knight hit a big shot and got us up out of there. So I know, you know, the, the hype with all that uh, – all those guys on your freshman in your freshman recruiting class was real, but you guys did start 24 and 0, I believe your, your senior year. So yeah, yeah. what did the, did the hype reach a higher level during your senior year, just because you guys, you know, went way deeper into the season going undefeated, or was it still pretty much your freshman year, the, the year you remember for uh, kind of the, the noise and the, and the hype surrounding you guys? I would say, the hype my freshman year was still more um, j just because of Greg, I would say, you know, you got the, the number one recruit in the country. Uh, you got the whole Fab Five thing going on. And literally it was the year before Terrence Dallas, JJ, uh, Ivan Harris, those guys basically, you know, were 
on the building block of bringing Ohio State basketball back, you know, to the top. And then the follow up with the recruiting class that we had and, and literally make it all the way to the championship as freshmen. You know, that's something that, that they haven't seen since uh, the Fab Five. So uh, for us to, to be able to accomplish that and do that, the hype was crazy. Like literally everywhere we went, it was a show and it was a show for Greg, basically. <laughs> so as we kept going and growing and growing, and everybody was anticipating him coming back from the injury and things like that. It was, uh, it was, it was like a movie basically for me. Yeah. I was going to say like the football team at Ohio state probably is used to that treatment. It's crazy to me as a, as a basketball guy myself, like looking back at Ohio state's history, cause they've been so good. You know, they have such a good and historic basketball program. Um, and then for that year, like you said, it was like a movie. So do you have any sort of last dance style stories of, of reporters or fans chasing you down, students coming up to you guys on campus, what? you know, try oh, that, that was, that was weekly. Walking to class. We'll get into, get into Greg, you know, were you a bodyguard? What happened? For sure. I mean, that was weekly coming to class, walking to class, people popping into class like, Oh yeah, that's him. We waiting for him outside. Things like that. Uh, for sure. Uh, I think our, our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Dave Richardson, uh, literally, he was like the bodyguard for us, basically, on the road. Uh, you know, Big Ten uh, championship going through in Chicago and things like that. Walking to the hotel, it, like you said, it felt like a movie. You get off the bus, everybody's just swarming you, basically. So uh, just to see it all happen in, like, slow motion <laughs> right in front of your eyes was kind of kind of crazy, for sure. And the way that season ended, you know, not to not to bring up, bad memories, get too deep into it. But it's kind of wild to see how everything has turned out. You got Mike Conley still in the league. You know, Billy Donovan was just named head coach of the Bulls. Joakim Noah still in the league. Al Horford. For guys sure. What's it like to just kind of see the basketball stories of everyone play out, you know, now almost, I guess, 15 years later almost? It's, it's crazy. You talk about that. So they had uh, Torian Green was their uh, point guard. I ended up being teammates with him for two years over here in France. You know, we talked about the game and, you know, things like that and how, you know, they were so hyped to play us because they all the talk and they had just won a championship. You know, they had things to prove. So it's it's kind of kind of nice to see it from his point of view and, you know, how they experienced it and, and took on the challenge and things like that. So uh, for, for sure, um, literally for guys to still be playing, like you said, almost 15 years later, it shows how much talent was literally on the court. And uh, I mean, we had. Uh, what, I think four guys on the team right there who played in the NBA uh, just for ourselves. And then they had maybe five or six. And then we still have pros. Ron Lewis still over here playing, I think, in maybe his, like, 14th year uh, of playing basketball. So, uh, for sure, that that just shows um, literally how, how good guys were. And you guys are no slouches, you know, in the in-between years either. You guys have some good teams. How would you say – uh, the injury maybe altered the trajectory of, of your career, your life, you know, like we talked about allowing you to stay for another year, but how did it, uh, I guess, affect your, your outlook on, on basketball during the moment and then going forward, reflecting on it? Um, well, actually I got injured twice when I was playing right before my, it would have been my fifth year. Uh, I broke my foot again, the same foot in the summertime in May, right before my birthday. Uh, so I think I took that one a little harder than, than the first one. You know, I, I try to be optimistic in everything that I do, uh, literally taking things in stride. I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of guy. 
So uh, the, the first time I just tried to use it to get stronger, watch a lot of video, get better. And I think it showed, you know, my improvement literally coming from my sophomore year to my junior year, my numbers increased, you know, crazy. So uh, literally I, I felt my senior year was about to be the same thing because uh, you know, my guy at ET had just left to go to the NBA and uh, we were really looking for a point guard basically. So I was kind of going to fill that role. So uh, I broke my foot and it kind of like, uh, you know, went to the side basically. And uh, my guy, William Buford, he ended up being like, if you, if you go back and look at my senior year, he was started at the point guard for like the first war, we call it the first four or five minutes and he hated it. <laughs> and then Kraft would come in the game and, and we'd basically finish it out. So, uh, I mean, in, in my mind, in my head and things, uh, you know, things could have went different maybe if I would have got the opportunity to play in that role, but, like I said, I'm a glass pool type of guy. So I take everything in stride. So reflecting back then on your entire career at Ohio State, what are some of the memories that, you know, when people ask you to tell the old war stories, like you said, you immediately go to, you know, you have plenty to choose from, but what's, what jumps out at you, you know, maybe at the top of your list? Oh, my goodness. It's so many. It's so many. Um I would say getting revenge on Florida my senior year, going down there and and, and smacking them on their home court. Because, uh, like you said, my freshman year, we lost to them actually twice that year. If you remember, we, it was like a, a Christmas massacre, they call it, right before Christmas holiday break. We lost by like 20. So to, to see the flip side of it, go down there and win, was something that was great for me. But, uh, I mean, for me, it's just the people, man, the literally – the guys, the the family, the bond, the brotherhood of everyone. And as you can see it now, even with the TBT, we're, we're all really like brothers. You know, we all consider each other family. And this is, you know, 10, 15 years later. So uh, just that aspect of it and uh, just, you know, the in and out day-to-day -day things, you know, being in the locker room with the guys, being in the dorms. We, we moved out of the dorms and we all live next to each other, literally house to house to house right next to each other. So it's like those memories will last, you know, a lifetime. We could probably make a documentary out of it if we wanted to. I was going to say, what would have been like if we would have sent the, uh, the oh, man. cameras into your little neighborhood? Man. Going? If this was, if this, if this day and age was when we played, because literally when we played, Twitter was just starting, Instagram just started, YouTube, as my guy Mark Titus was probably, you know, one of the pioneers to start on the YouTube stuff. Uh, literally, if we had that exposure, then it would be a different story for a lot of guys, probably. The Snapchat stories would have been live and probably getting people. Oh, my trouble. goodness. We would have got a lot of calls from uh, Gene and uh, <laughs> see what's going on over there in, uh, in the rooms. I'm glad you mentioned Mark Titus. He's now our colleague in the Fox family here doing his thing with the podcast, Titus and Tate. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. But I got to ask, you know, just so we can have some fun with, with Mark, um, what's one thing, if you had to pick, you know, give, give him something, what's one thing he could do better than you on a basketball court if it came down to it? Oh, one thing that Mark can do better than me. Uh, scout team player of the year, I give him that one. Uh, he, he, did it, he did his thing a couple a – couple, uh, practices I will say that Mark had some game you know he would definitely have some flashes where he would show you know I, I could play a little bit for sure say so it's just not uh for fun out here for me 
just out of curiosity, because I read his book, like, were you guys 100% supportive of him taking on that kind of side hustle and, and role, or did it ever get on your nerves? Uh, I mean, for some people, for me, I'm like, go for it, for sure. Well, whatever floats your boat, basically. Uh, for him, I think it was just his personality starting to show and come out. And I think, um, I mean, that, that's what you need for people, for sure, for me. Uh, some others, uh, the villain maybe, <laughs> might have uh, had some irritations with it. But uh, I think, you know, as time went on, you know, guys started to understand and, and were okay with everything, for sure. Yeah, you, you know, just talking about these guys, taking me back to reading that book in high school or college or whatever. It was, it was fun kind of getting the inside look, pulling back the curtain. Uh, so imagine that, but right. on video. That's what it would have been if we would have had that technology then, so for sure. We'll never know. But uh, now you guys were a fun group, and I guess one more fun kind of lighthearted question. My, uh, my coworker actually had uh, uh, ran this by me when I told him I was interviewing you. He wanted to know if you've ever seen Thad Mata not chewing gum because it seems like the guy's always got some gum in his mouth. I think it rubbed off on me because I always have gum where I go now, literally in my pocket, in my car, in my bag. I always have a pack of gum. And, but for him, he literally, he got a deal off of dropping gum on the ground, picking it up and chewing it. He got a gum deal. I think it was Wrigley. So you go into his office, he literally has 20 packs of gum, three different kinds of gum in his office just, just because of that. So you got you to gotta look at it on the good side, like I said. The legacy lives on. He's got his whole his whole gum tree now, you know, with his <laughs> for sure, for carrying sure. that torch. Uh, all right, Dave, I ran this by you before we chatted because I knew it was going to be a tough question. Didn't want to put you on the spot too much, but uh, I want you to to name if you could. We're going to run through the lineup one through five, and we'll give you a six man as well. The ultimate uh, yeah, starting oh. five from your playing days, the, the David Lighty era at Ohio State. So any of your teammates are eligible. You know, just, I'm, I'm going to run through for the, the folks real quick, just the guys that, that one, are eligible. That, one's tough. that one is tough. Yeah, it's guys like Evan Turner, like you mentioned, Mike Conley, Greg Oden, Daquan Cook. You know, that, that was your recruiting class right there. Uh, some of those guys, John Diebler, Kraft, Sullinger, Deshaun Thomas, William Buford, so many guys. So I'm going to start us at the one, you know, who's bringing the ball up uh, in your ultimate starting five? I think uh, – that was probably one of the hardest decisions for me. It's either Kraft or, or Conley. It's one of the two I got to go with. So I'm going to go Mike just because he can do the defense as well. I mean, probably not as good as Kraft, but he's in the passing lanes, can get steals and things like that. So I think he set the freshman record for most steals at Ohio State. Uh, so I would go Mike at the one. At the two, I would go uh, – I, I, that's a tough one as well. I so, it's, it's so much. You're going to make some enemies uh, here on the, on the podcast. Uh, for, oh, for sure. For sure. They, it's okay. They, they all understand. Tell them I'm leaving myself off so they know that one. Um, I, was, I, was, I was torn between Ron Lewis and William Buford, but I, I would go with Buford just because of the longevity – he what he did in his career literally from day one until his senior year is uh something that's basically unmatched he's you know top five in Ohio State scoring of all time so that's you can't you know turn that down so I got William at the two at the three I'm gonna go ET just because he'll be another combo guard pretty much one through four type of guy can handle the ball too um then I'm gonna go the four was tough 
these these next two. I, I want I went big, you know, traditional Big Ten basketball. I put I put Jared at the four, and then uh, Greg at the five. Of course, I mean that's tough to turn down. And we got other good guys for sure, like uh, Dallas, who's literally top three in block shots. Then I had Costa. I thought about you know a stretch five man. So, uh, but I went with Greg, and then uh, my sixth man, I got Deebler coming off the bench, shooting everything. So, stretch the floor. All right, yeah, like you said, there's no wrong answers there. Um, just running through it, it's crazy how how great Ohio State was, and you know, I know a lot of players and and people I've talked to from Ohio State that that were affiliated with the program and still follow it to this day. We're we're big Thad Mata guys, and for a lot of them, it was tough to see him go. Um, so I want to get your perspective on how that played out and also just your thoughts on the current state of the program uh, under Coach Holtman because it seems like he's kept it rolling in his uh, first few years there. Oh, for sure. I mean, everyone was sad to see him go. But, uh, I mean, as I got older and, you know, being 10 years in, in the business now, I understand that side of things, the business side of it. You know, probably a little young, naive kid, you know, back in college, you know, uh, that, that's something that we probably really never paid attention to. But for sure, I think, you know, as time goes on, everyone, you know, starts to realize, uh, you know, it's not just about X's and O's all the time. So uh, I think it was just a mutual agreement, you know, for the school and for coach. It was just time. Uh, but for sure, uh, I mean, he left his mark, <laughs> uh, you know, with no question, uh, you know, the things that he did in his time there. Uh, is basically historic. So uh, for us, uh, I think with Coach Holman, it was big for him to embrace us and uh, literally, you know, take us on as his own and, you know, allow us to be a part of everything still. So I think that that's been the, the best part of, you know, him and his staff coming in. And like you said, uh, you know, we, we feel like we left a legacy. The guys who were there, the guys, uh, even before me, we f all feel like we left a legacy there and we kind of set a standard for Ohio State basketball. And uh, I think Coach Holtman has been doing a, a great job so far, for sure. And, uh, you know, upholding that and uh, trying to raise the bar. So with you spending a lot of time overseas and those seasons overlapping, how do you follow the Buckeyes? Do you get a chance to watch many games or is it waking up in the morning, checking the score type deal? Uh, I don't, I don't sleep too much over here. I probably don't go to sleep till like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning because of that. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie, I would say, and, uh, I'm a night owl anyway, and even back home, I'm the same way. So I catch the games probably maybe until halftime, but normally like weekend games, afternoon games are, are perfect for me. I get done over here around nine o'clock. They got a three o'clock game on CBS. You know, I chill out, watch it relaxed and uh other than that like you said just the highlights and you know just talking to guys knowing the coaching staff uh Jake Deagler John's brother you know he's been around us you know since John was there so uh basically uh all of that combined in one and you know you mentioned you're a basketball junkie we got to talk some NBA but also uh since you're a Cleveland guy I had to I had to ask if you're a Cavs fan are you a Cavs guy oh for for sure, to the heart, always. Cavs, Browns, Indians. I mean, right. so, I, I've been lucky to have those great teams growing up. <laughs> so I was going to ask, you know, with the 54-year drought ending in 2016, uh, it's no question that was all worth it, right? Like for even uh, the, the Cavs to be so trash the last few years. <laughs> no question, right? I wanted to shed a tear. I felt like I won the championship. Like literally, I felt like I won a championship. And just to see 
the city come out and celebrate it like we did. It was it was amazing for me. Like you said, the drought doesn't matter when when you get all of that. Like literally, you build all that up and against the team that they did it against. It's come on now. That's that's going to be another documentary like MJ's for sure. I'm a Cubs fan, so I understand the the drought. Oh, that one hurt that year too. Right? I, I apologize. Uh, you know, your Indians. That was supposed to be our year, man. It was supposed to be our year. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was. I had just moved to Chicago, started my job, and um, the Cubs went down three to one, much like your Cavs did. For sure, yeah, and exactly. There was a Cleveland fan in the street, you know, yelling in our faces, saying, "You know, we got title town, two titles in one year." He jumped the gun. It was a three-one. He should have known For about three-one sure. lead that anything can happen. For sure. You know, crazy part about that, I was. It was my second stint in Italy. I'm up watching the game. Bottom of the ninth, they hit the home run. It's like four o'clock in the morning. I'm screaming, so excited and so hyped because I thought it was over for sure. We hit the home run. I come to practice the next day. They're like, Lighty, what was going on? Are you okay? What was all that? So, uh, yeah, for sure. That, that one hurt. But for the Cavs to win it and the Indians to lose, it's okay. We can take that, 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 that drop off. It's all right. It, it happens. It's a good trade off to keep everyone happy For on the sure. podcast. I, I do have to ask as well because one of my former roommates was a Browns fan, is a Browns fan. Uh, that one is, is a tough one. Yeah. How are you feeling about your Browns? Because all the hype was was real going into last year. You know, it seemed like with Baker and Odell that, that things were cooking and, and now it's, it's fizzling a little bit. So what are your thoughts on the Browns and, and can they get out of this kind of malaise that they're in? See, but, but that's the thing. As a Browns fan, it's hype. That, that's all it is. You know you can't get too excited. Come on now. We've been doing this since 99. So, like, for me to get excited, I would I should be beating myself up. So, I already understand, you know, how it's going to be. You know, we might start off good or, or this game looks good or this might be the turnaround game. And it never quite gets there. So, for me, like I said, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I just take it in stride. We get a win, I'm excited. We get a lose, it's like, you know, we've been losing. So uh, it's, it's okay. We've got to look at the positive. we got to look at the positive. But hopefully this year we can, uh, you know, use the weapons that we have because that, that's the most frustrating thing, I would say. It's so many good pieces that the Browns have that, you know, you just think it, it has to click sometimes for sure. I'm pretty sure they got expanded playoffs this year as well. So maybe you guys, you know, can sneak in wild card or something like that. Um, <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. You better be a Bears fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Bears fan. So I can kind of relate to, like, the uh, the <laughs> extended uh, misery, even though we do have some flashpoints in our history. It, it's it's a lot of losing to the Packers. That That's a tough play. one with Mitch, man. That's a Cleveland guy. That's true. Mentor man, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, hey, he's in y'all's hands for now. We'll see how it goes. 2-0. Oh. Well, you know, we're just going to keep saying 2-0 and, oh and, and seeing how it plays out. Um. Before we let you go, I can't let you off the hook without predicting uh, NBA Finals champ. I assume you've been watching a lot of the bubble. Uh, I really like the quality of basketball in the bubble. I think I've watched more of these playoffs than I have watched of the NBA in years. I don't know why that is, but I just all the games are really entertaining from my perspective. So, uh, have you enjoyed watching you know this this bubble format? And who do you think is going to take home that uh, that Larry Ob in a few weeks here? For sure, for sure, the bubble's been great from. Like you said, playing in the TBT and having a bubble to kind of like uh, bringing back old AAU memories. Uh, that's basically what it is. It's the, the biggest AAU tournament of all time, you know, at the highest level. Uh, so to have that with the best players in the world, uh, like you said, it draws you. It, it gets you. It makes you 
you know, uh, connect to it. It's something new, something that we haven't seen. And like you said, guys have been playing out of their minds, basically. And uh, I think that that is a tribute to the bubble for sure. You know, guys like Tyler Hero on the road in game seven or something like that, is it going to be the same? Is he going to do this or that? But uh, for me, um, I just like the way Miami's playing as a team. Uh, they have so many pieces that you can't key on one. And I think uh, with Jimmy Butler, uh, I think he's he's my type of guy. He's my type of person, my type of player. Like, you know, he leads by example. He's out there. You got your your uh, max player out there diving on the floor, taking charges, you know, doing all the dirty work. You know, everyone else is going to follow for sure. And uh, for them to, to do what they've been doing and, you know, no one basically probably expected it so far. Uh, has been great. So we'll see, you know, how they finish off uh, the series with Boston. But I'm going to go Miami versus uh, the Lakers. But then I got Lakers 4-2 uh, in, in the finals. But uh, you can't put out Denver, man. It's it's crazy how they're playing. I think Jokic and Murray have, you know, lifted their sales into, you know, the, the top tier players of the Western Conference and the NBA for sure. Yeah, I love that answer because I'm kind of an adopted Miami Heat fan at this point because – the Bulls being uh, so poor, you know, <laughs> recent history and the Heat playing kind of a style that reminds me of the Bulls, to be honest, like when under the Thibodeau. Uh, okay, regime, yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot, Hard of, nose, a lot of ball like movement. Jimmy Butler. I got Jimmy. Yeah, you know, I like I like seeing Jimmy have a resurgence. We got some Illinois guys on the team with Myers Leonard and uh, Kendrick Nunn, who was my neighbor back in the day. Um, so it's fun to kind of hop on that bandwagon. I hope we do see him in the finals, but you're right. The bubble does kind of give AAU vibes. And, and for me, AAU memories means like getting switched on to uh Julio Okafor in the post. So at five, <laughs> five, 10, you can imagine how that ended. So it's not all, yeah, it's not what all you going to do about it. Hey. But, uh, sure. but David, I appreciate it, man. This has been a lot of fun um, chatting with you. Uh, a lot of fun catching up and, and I uh, hope to see you in the, the TBT again for that, that house of pain rematch. It's always fun. For to sure. For sure. It'll, it'll be a different cut turnout this time. Uh, for sure. They, they, they got to set that up. We will see what happened. They'll be in our region for sure. Wouldn't be surprised also to see you, uh, you know, on this side of the mic at some point. Uh, I, I know, you know, we always <laughs> love getting uh, former players in the mix. So uh, hopefully, you know, when you're, when you're done, you can, uh, take someone's job how about that sure we'll see man we'll see see how long my legs hold up man i'm 10 years in now maybe another three four years we'll see how it turns out but for sure that keep that in my back pocket see see how it turns out all right well i appreciate it once again and uh we will be following your journey the rest of the way definitely appreciate you having me man. all right thanks once again to dave lighty for jumping on with me really appreciate his time really fun discussion with him uh, those Ohio State teams were, were so much fun and so good back in the um, late aughts and early 2010s and the program's always been on solid ground but um, I mean, those teams were elite and um, you know appreciate him pulling that curtain even more kind of in the like we talked about in the um way Mark Titus did with his book and his blog and a lot of those outsized personalities on those teams and a really uh, likable head coach, um, just a fun group to reminisce on and cool that David and so many other of his teammates in that era are still playing. So appreciate him. Best of luck to him. 
Um, now we'll toss it over to BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Harold joins the show regularly during football and college basketball season, and now that it is back, we are uh, welcoming back in with open arms to discuss uh, the return of college football, first off, with the updated schedule coming out this past weekend, and um, you know we generally get Harold on to break down the stats, kind of explain what's going on, and uh, he's very good at articulating the uh, you know week in, week out, and game in, game out when it comes to basketball, uh, particulars of, of college sports. So I um, always love having him on, and uh, we'll do that on a regular basis once again now that the games are uh, on the horizon. So we'll toss it over to Harold Shelton and get back in the groove with sports returning. All right, I'm very pleased to welcome back to Take 10 Podcast a very special and regular guest, Harold Shelton, BTN researcher for our stats segment. And Harold, it's been a while since we've had the privilege of talking Big Ten football and basketball. Going to have you back on as often as you want, um, you know, in the coming weeks and months because sports are pretty much back, fingers crossed, and uh, wanted to obviously get you back on and it's good to uh see you and hear your voice again good to see you too man glad to be back um you know definitely was real touch and go there for a while in terms of if we were gonna have football or not i mean i guess we were the plan was to always do it but whether it was gonna be uh, a january start a thanksgiving start or you know there were so many uh different options out there but now we got something that's set in stone and you know about a month from today or a month from this week, we'll be kicking off. Yeah, and for those who don't tune in regularly to the show, Harold and I try and chat weekly during football and basketball season because Harold is a stats guru and knows how to apply those numbers to conversation and uh, much better at it than I am. So we will be doing this going forward, hopefully, as long as the uh, sports stick around. And it seems like we have a pretty solid plan in place for football and basketball has got some – some good vibes too. And for a while, like you touched on, it was not the case. Um, you know, football was back and then it was gone. And then thankfully it's back again, starting October 23rd, 24th. And I just want to get your thoughts overall on the, the format and what we're, we're staring uh, at here with the schedule and how feasible you think it's going to be um, with what we've already seen in college football and some of the delays, the eight games in eight weeks is going to be, um, tight parameters for the conference. What do you just think about the the plan and how this fall is going to play out and, and uh, you know, for observers, kind of be a welcome distraction? Uh, well, hopefully they can get this season in um, safely. I mean, as we've seen, you know, across the country, there have been several issues with, uh, teams that have had to postpone games already. Um, I was I saw Houston already had four opponents postponed on them. Uh, man, we're still you know late in September. Uh, Notre Dame, who was lauded for doing such a great job and uh, you know keeping you know positive test results down. You know they had to postpone their game away for us. So I just think it's even though we have football back, I wanted to be safe. And hopefully we can get through the season. Um, the fact that there's no bye weeks at all, it's just, you know, nine straight weeks of football. They didn't really give a lot of wiggle room there. And so I think 
because it's a late start, you kind of had to do that, especially if you're still trying to make the playoffs. So I get why they did it. It's just, it's a really, really tight window to try to get a lot of stuff in. And you just hope that we don't have any postponements because if there are, I don't know how those get made up. For as much flack as the Big Ten got for like boomeranging on the decision, I, I think what's going to work in their advantage and, and favor here when we go through the schedule is the stringent planning and requirements because it seems like we kind of touched on it, it's the Wild West with a lot of other programs in college football. Some places have 10,000 fans in the stands and student sections packed together. And some places, you know, are, like he said, having to cancel games weeks in advance and getting games canceled on them and, and are scrambling to schedule. The Big Ten, like we said, is keeping it in-house. Um, they've already said no fans across the board. Like, everything seems kind of tight now and, you know, kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. So hopefully that works in their favor. I think it will. I think, you know, that the fact that it – and I, I'm going to say it's a fact they're taking it more seriously than other conferences um, is, is going to help them. And like you said, hopefully we don't have any postponements because the, uh, the bumpers in the, in the lane here are very tight. So, H, now that we have the schedule, we saw in the Big Noon kickoff this past weekend it get dropped. Um, what were your impressions? Um, you know, maybe some winners and losers of the schedule release. What are your overall thoughts on the eight-game schedule? Um, well, first of all, as a, as a Michigan State alum, I am happy that it is only an eight-game schedule the way that Miami and BYU have looked uh, in the preseason. Those were two non-conference opponents that they were going to have that they, do not, they no longer have to play, which is a good thing in the transition year with the new head coach. Uh, that being said, with the schedule release, I feel like Ohio State was the clear winner. Uh, the fact that they don't play Wisconsin, they don't play Minnesota, they had a game with Iowa from the August release that's no longer on the schedule. So their crossover opponents are Nebraska and Illinois. Um, they do have a game at Penn State, but guess what? No whiteout. So with no fans in the stands, that isn't nearly as an imposing venue. Obviously still tough to play, but you're not playing at night in front of 105,000 screaming fans. You know, you can, can hear some calls a little better coming in from the sideline or from the huddle. So I think that just might be a talent wins out situation. Uh, so for me, I think Ohio State was the, was the clear winner there. Um, I thought Purdue, um, if they're trying to, you know, kind of bounce back from the down year they had last year, losing Ohio State and Michigan from the schedule, I think certainly, certainly helps out there. Um, and staying in the West, I think Nebraska, um, it's, it's very interesting that their two crossover opponents are Ohio State and Penn State, and they lost Michigan State and Rutgers, who, you know, two of the bottom three, so to speak, in the, uh, in the Big Ten East, and the fact that they open up uh, with Ohio State and Wisconsin to start the season. It, it's, it's interesting to me how that schedule played out. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I know a lot of people out there kind of thought that, you know, the Big Ten did this on purpose because Nebraska had a lot to say throughout the whole process. But I do think it's interesting to see the schedule play out the way it played. I just got to say, too, like, stepping back from the actual games themselves, I love, as a consumer, the eight-game schedule as far as keeping 
you know, getting the 56-point blowouts out of the way with the non-conference games, like, that's been my biggest thing growing up watching college football is, like, I just can't get into the season too deeply until conference play starts because so many of those games are just throwaway games. I understand why um, those games happen. You know, it's, it's, it props up a lot of smaller programs. Uh, TV revenue comes in. Uh, I don't expect that to change, but just like in a vacuum, I'm going to very much enjoy having every game have stakes this year, every week. Um, So that'll be fun. Uh, H, you know, you mentioned Ohio state coming out pretty well, the schedule release. Uh, I think Wisconsin, Minnesota as well, you know, on the, on the West side, pretty favorable. Um, We'll start, I guess, on the East when we kind of look at big picture division favorites ever since I've been at BTN. Um, I guess there was my first year, Penn State and uh, Wisconsin played in the Big Ten Championship game. I didn't go to that one. So every Big Ten Championship game I've been to, it's been Ohio State and Wisconsin. Is there any reason to believe that it'll be different this year? Um, I'd be really surprised if Ohio State's not there again, um, especially considering that they had a couple of guys who were going to opt out, opt back in, uh, and Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade. And so I think you know, when you solidify in your secondary, you solidify the offensive line, you get a Heisman Trophy favorite coming back at quarterback uh, and just, you know, the ridiculous talent that they have. I'd be really, really surprised if Ohio State uh, wasn't playing in that title game on the 19th. Um, I think Wisconsin is probably still the favorite. I'll be very curious to see if Minnesota can challenge them. I think a lot will depend on Rashad Bateman and if he – can wind up getting some kind of waiver because I know he opted out, wants to opt back in, but signed with an agent, you know, based off of previous data saying that the season wasn't going to start until 2021. So if there's a way where he can get that waiver and you get him back with Tanner Morgan and Muhammad Ibrahim, I think Minnesota could be a real threat in the West. Yeah, our guy, our colleague, Brent Urena, is big on the, the Minnesota hype train this year, and I'm giving him all kinds of crap for it. Uh, we were on it last year, though. Both of us were on it last year. And not, I don't give him crap for it because I don't believe it. I, I do think Minnesota is going to be good and, and going to challenge for the, the crown. I just love, um, you know, giving him a hard time for his darlings every year. Uh, so I guess what's, what's a better chance of happening, H, the uh, – Big Ten championship game not being Ohio State versus Wisconsin or or us getting to attend in person? Oof. Uh, I'll say us attending in person is probably zero or very close to it. So uh, I'll probably go Ohio State, Wisconsin as a better chance of happening by default. Agreed. I'm still holding out like some slim hope just because who knows, maybe they play like Maybe that's the Champions Week um, setup where they have like three games, four games that weekend in Indy or wherever, Detroit, wherever they go. Um, and then somehow, you know, maybe the vaccine has been, been uh, <laughs> pushed through. Yeah, I, I, I love that weekend every year. So I hope we can. I know. And I hope I know. it's safe to go. I just, I'm not going to I would understand if we're not able to. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, though, like that's, that's something that I left out in my original question. How, what do you think about the Champions Week format? I think it's kind of universally been well-received. Um, I agree with the, the fact that – or the um, notion that it's pretty cool and gets a ninth game in and gets a game on a lot of people – on a lot of uh, program schedules that you wouldn't otherwise get. So give me your thoughts on this concept and you think it has any staying power. 
I like it. I like it a lot, actually, because uh, there's so many times where we talk about how one division is stronger than the other, and there's so much imbalance, and it's not just in the Big Ten. You hear it in the SEC. You hear it in the ACC. And so it would be nice to kind of have the, you know, two versus two, three versus three, and you can kind of stack up and see what division is actually better or what division is deeper. Um, and I think the other cool thing about it is you might get some rematches, which never happens in the regular season unless they meet in the title game. Um, and, you know, that's been pretty rare so far. So, you know, let's say Ohio State and Wisconsin meet in the title game and you get Michigan-Minnesota part two. I mean, you know, they open the season with each other. And what if they end the season with each other? Like, I think that could be pretty cool. In a sport where – schedules are determined like eight to ten years in advance I think not knowing you're going to play until the week before is a fantastic concept and I would love to see them continue it a one-off year if possible uh how about back-to-back -back weeks like that's yeah, something that could happen for real I wonder if they'll do trophies for the the uh champions week that'd be that'd be pretty sweet too need to get, only get it for one week. some schools might only get it for one week that's a good point. We got to get the commission on the phone and see what's going on with that. So one other big implication that I thought was kind of uh, overplayed when I heard the some some blowback to you know like an eight and Big Ten team or seven and one team not deserving of a playoff spot if like SEC plays a full schedule or other uh, conferences play ten or eleven game schedules. Um, I guess they'd be nine and oh or, or eight and one but what are your thoughts on any cfp implications i guess the biggest um you know flashing caution sign would be the cancellation of games postponements but uh what do you how do you think this this factors into the cfp discussion um i think because the big 10 is a brand name and i think that they had six preseason uh top 25 teams in ap poll people view the league as a strong league to begin with um, and so I think, especially in the case of an Ohio State or Penn State, uh, Wisconsin or Michigan, you know, team, Minnesota teams that have a chance uh, to make the playoff, there are a lot of ranked opponents on those schedules. Um, so even though you don't have the, the key or you don't have non-conference games or you don't, don't, you don't have that one, you know, game to look at like, oh, well, they beat Oregon or they beat, you know, whoever non-conference, you still have a really strong conference slate to judge on. And, you know, normally when I look at those resumes as we get closer and closer to, you know, November and December with those schedule releases, with the rankings releases that come out, when you look, the teams usually only have three or four quality wins as it is anyway, and most of them are in conference. So I don't think that should change much as long as the games get played. For a sport that's so subjective too, like it's not like the CFP committee has all these strict parameters um, right they look at eye test a lot probably more than they should and so i don't see why that would change not too worried about it um all right age before we move on to basketball um let's talk about briefly because i do want to devote maybe a whole episode down the road to uh some player previews but who are you keeping an eye on this year as far as um you know maybe breakout big season big time returnees and then also um, got to keep in mind, you touched on Bateman, uh, guys like that who are still kind of in limbo with the uh, appeals process. And I do hope um, they are able to figure something out because it's, it wouldn't really be fair, like you said, if they are 
making that decision based on information that turned out to, to change. I think uh, in, this, in this age of player empowerment, I hope they get something figured out. But who you got your eyes on? Um, big picture as we are here a month to the day from kickoff. Uh, kind of, you know, piggybacking off of Bateman, uh, James Franklin repeatedly said that the door is still open for Micah Parsons if he wants to uh, come back. Uh, Rondell Moore is a guy who also opted out. Um, I don't think he hired an agent, though, so it's just up to him if he wants to come back or not. I still haven't heard as of yet uh, when it comes to that. I think the Michigan quarterback situation is really interesting now. It looks like Joe Milton's going to be the guy with Dylan McCaffrey uh, opting out and transferring. Um, it looked like that was going to be a race for a while, and now you get a, a very athletic quarterback at that spot. Um, you know, everybody kind of thought when Shea Patterson came in that he would be the answer at the quarterback position. And, you know, he would be the reason why they, you know, can get to Indianapolis and finally beat Ohio State. And now, you know, the pressure's on a young Joe Milton, but he looks, he definitely looks the part. He's really athletic. Um, and I'll just be curious to see, you know, if he's the answer, if, if, if he's the guy that can finally get them over the hump. Chances are Dylan McCaffrey transfers to Illinois now, right? Like that's uh, yeah, man. That that seems to be the pattern, right? Exactly. So um that'll be uh interesting to see where he lands if he goes in conference, actually. But um, yeah, no, Joe Milton in Michigan can be very intriguing. Uh every single one of Ohio State's receivers is going to be uh it's gonna be an electric receiving core for sure. So definitely have my eyes on uh on on that group because I'm sure I'll be tweeting out a lot of their highlights this year. Um, I'm interested to see too, how Adrian Martinez bounces back in Nebraska, obviously kind of a sophomore slump for him. Um, can he stay healthy? Can he, you know, kind of rise to some of these uh, challenges on his schedule, especially since, um, you know, he had kind of Heisman hype going into last year from definitely from Nebraska fans, but from uh, some national pundits as well. So very curious to see how he deals with, with that situation, especially now that Spielman's gone. Yeah, that. And I think the, the QB situation at Northwestern is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Cats kind of had a lot of hype going into last year. Um, you know, preseason top 25 or right outside of it. Um, you know, the Hunter Johnson situation didn't quite work out with injuries and, uh, you know, personal issues going on. But now you get Peyton Ramsey there from, from Indiana. Um, and TJ Green is back after getting hurt in the opener. And so I'd be curious to see if Ramsey winds up winning that job. And, you know, this is a, a perfect kind of schedule and, and layout for them because they never had a home field advantage to begin with. And they usually just win a bunch of close games, phone booth type games. So I wouldn't be shocked if – I'm not saying they'll win a division, but I wouldn't be shocked if they, you know, jumped up and bit a couple of those top 25 teams. Peyton Ramsey's old school too. I'm I'm curious to see if Penix can stay healthy. He's electric. Oh, yeah. um, and Indiana, you know, is still kind of on the up and up. So uh, curious, you know, a lot, a lot of places and, and my alma mater, Illinois too. I mentioned them. Um, they had an exciting resurgence in the middle of last year, tailed off um, toward the end. And I, you know, I, there's, there's some hype because they really do have a, a talented roster. Now we'll see, uh, they can put it together and overcome some deficiencies on defense because uh, it's an intriguing, intriguing roster there. And, and I think it's going to be closer in the West with a lot of teams jumbled than people, than uh, people think. I saw some of the 
the lines come out for over under win totals and and I saw some that were too high and I saw some that were too low. I think it's gonna be way more of a jumbled mess in the middle. A lot of a lot of four four and fours um, in the Western Division. But yeah, it's uh, to do that. H let's let's uh before we wrap it up here on a Thursday late morning, let's talk some hoops. Um, because I'm very excited for the return of basketball season. It's closer than we think. Just with you know, it always seems so far away when football first starts, but now that the uh, time frames are almost overlapping. It's going to get real busy and real interesting here very soon. So basketball has been kind of this security blanket for, for me personally, because it's always seemed like powers that be with basketball have, have been on point so far. Um, you haven't heard too many ominous things about cancellations. I think basketball lends itself to an easier launch just with the size of the rosters and the, the proven um, tactics that have already worked with the basketball tournament kind of setting the, you know, being the first guinea pig out there in July. NBA bubble's been magnificent. Um, and I don't even think with basketball it takes a, a sealed bubble to the lengths that the NBA has gone. They've done a great job, but we've seen it can work, I think, if you – maybe go somewhere for a weekend like we're seeing with the preseason tournaments trying to get their ducks in a row. So uh, really, really excited for the return of college basketball, really optimistic. Um, we've seen the date be uh, not leaked, but um, announced of November 25th as a start date um, for kind of everybody. Big 10 hasn't announced yet what the schedule is going to be exactly. Um, but what are your thoughts on the return of college hoops and you think, it has as good a chance of working as I do. Are you as optimistic as me? No, I am. I am as optimistic as you. I think basketball lends itself to uh, just a much safer environment. Uh, just, you know, just the numbers. I mean, you know, football teams, you have to worry about, you know, 85 scholarship guys plus all your staff members and whatnot. And basketball, you're talking about, what, 15? And so I feel like it's just much easier to control everything just with fewer numbers. Um, I do think it's interesting that we're still going to get some non-conference games. You know, it's not going to just be a conference-only slate. Um, the fact that Orlando's going to be very, very busy. Um, I know Michigan State's going to be spending a ton of time down there. Uh, Champions Classic got moved down there. They are already in the uh, what was formerly called the the Old Spice classic which is not an Orlando Invitational so uh, they'll be spending some time down there I know Rutgers will be down there for the Jimmy V classic which is uh, normally in New York uh, Nebraska will be down there uh, for, the, for the Myrtle Beach Invitational Penn State will be down there um, and so there's just going to be a lot of Big Ten teams that'll be in Orlando for a lot of these non-conference games uh, and I'm glad to see that those tournaments are still happening uh, just a, a brief side note, like imagine you were planning on going to Maui or the Bahamas this year. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to go to my invitational battle for Atlantis. And Indiana, right? Indiana's in Maui. I think Ohio State's in Atlantis. And instead, you're going to Sioux Falls. Or you're yeah. not going at all. Cause yeah. Hawaii, no. Although, like, Asheville is pretty cool for the Maui Invitational. Yeah. Um, I, I went this summer. I was, like, first pandemic, like trip where we tried to keep it outdoors and it was a cool spot but it's no Maui that's for sure right exactly exactly and so like I definitely feel bad for for the players who have never been to those type of places and you I'm sure that's probably a recruiting tool 
And it's like, well, actually, you're going to Asheville or Sioux Falls. And I'm sure, you know, young kids, you could still have fun with it no matter what, but just not quite the same. Um, but just in terms of overall hoops, this is going to be a really, really fun year. Uh, really, really top heavy. A lot of great players coming back. I'm really looking forward to the league. I think uh, speaking of preseason or non-conference action, ACC Big Ten Challenge sounds like it's still a go as of now too. So Yeah, exactly. Great news there. Um, should be some fun, I think, matchups this year that are a little more non-traditional. If they line them up like the matchups, uh, you know, at the top would suggest when you got teams like Illinois, Iowa, and, um, you know, potentially Rutgers getting in that top half of, of the matchups. Um, teams that, that might, you know, face a – a, uh, a Duke that wouldn't normally years. Usually we get the, the Indiana Duke matchup and the North Carolina, Michigan state or Ohio state, uh, Ohio state. I know has been playing UNC a lot lately. So should be some intriguing fun matchups there. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the, the talent coming back and it's really exciting um, from, you know, Iowa and Illinois on down the list. Um, the only guy, I mean, that I can really think of that, kind of surprised me that didn't come back was Xavier Tillman and not even that it was a surprise just like it seemed like it could go either way so sorry H um you know your your Spartans took a little bit of a hit there but I think they will be okay with a lot of the the folks they got coming back yeah it was uh seeing Luca Garza come back it was like okay like Iowa could be for real um we'll see if they can guard some people but they are certainly deep I mean they might be the deepest team in the conference um and led by know everybody's preseason player of the year so Iowa should be loaded getting Io and Kofi to come back for Illinois I mean that was huge you know I thought Iowa would be gone uh, I thought Kofi was more 50-50 but getting both of those guys back I mean Illinois can really make a run for Big Ten title in the final four um, I know Wisconsin brings everybody back um, and you know people kind of forget that if the Big Ten tournament was actually played they were the top seed in it Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, they kind of flew under the radar. I'll be curious to see um, if they, you know, kind of played the way they did the last couple of months of last season. Um, I think some of it was a friendly schedule, but some of it was them finding uh, finding their roles and, and finding a rhythm with Micah Potter, you know, kind of stepping in seamlessly there. Uh, Spartans will probably still be pretty good, but I don't think they're the favorite like they've been the last, you know, maybe two, three years in the league. Um, Looking to see if Rocket Watts can kind of take that next step. You know, losing a, a player like Cassius is is really, really tough. And X, you know, did everything for them defensively. So those are two really, really big pieces to fill. Man, I know Rocket Watts can play. I saw it in person in Champaign. I was at that game and he he looked like the top recruit that um, you know, he was ranked ranked as and and you know it's in there. Uh, I think consistency, like you said, is is uh gonna be what to look for from him. But I want to be careful with this terminology and this language because it's always very sensitive, but if there's any silver lining to everything that's gone on with March Madness being canceled and, um, uh, you know, the, all, all of the circumstances that have been uplifted and disrupted, uh, Illinois fans, I think, got the best end of the, the deal with um, Kofi and Io coming back. I think Kofi would have come back regardless. I don't think there's any way Io would have come back because I think he would have – made an impact in, in March of 2020 and elevated that draft stock enough. So I think this is the only way that he would return and, you know, happy for a lot of people I know who have been waiting for a while for there to be this type of preseason buzz. Um, 
it's kind of too bad that the the fan aspect is removed from it. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts some of the, you know, the Ken Palm style statistics that we've seen in past years and, and the overall gameplay um, game in and game out of, of some of these big 10 teams, because I do think some teams will be impacted more than others just by what we saw last year, carrying over to this year with a lot of the rosters intact. Um, I think teams like Purdue and Iowa might have some adverse effects just by those home and road splits that we saw last year. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case for teams like Illinois and Rutgers who, uh, you know, play defense and rebound and that tends to travel. However, we know how intimidating Rutgers was at the rack last year and how that place could play to their advantage. So maybe I don't uh, get too far ahead of myself there. What are your thoughts on, on the, you know, limited or no fan element of what we're likely looking at this season? I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I think if you're a younger team, I think it actually benefits you because we've seen young teams go on the road, play, you know, upperclassmen, packed house, and, you know, they get the deer and headlights look and games get away from them. Now you don't have to worry about that. It's just, you know, cream rises to the top. You know, the more talented team most likely will win. You know, I don't think, you know, you just kind of get rid of some of the intangibles that exist. I mean, you you touched on it with Mackey. I mean, Purdue was night and day, you know, away from Mackey and compared to, you know, they beat Michigan State by 30, they beat Virginia by 30. And, you know, they go on the road and struggle with a bunch of teams. And so, you know, not having that, you know, that this year, I think it kind of benefits the teams that just, really play good defense, rebound, like you said, the stuff that you could play on neutral court, home court, on the road. I think teams that do that will probably find themselves in the best shape to win the league. Maybe you guys won't lose at Assembly Hall this year because that's been a house of horrors. Yeah, we've had a lot of issues in, in Bloomington. So uh, hopefully if, if we're playing there, uh, that won't be as big of an issue this year. I will say, uh, kind of last thought here before we wrap up, Basketball for me as a viewer has been the easiest sport to adjust to with no fans. Um, just with the overall viewing experience. Baseball is kind of weird. I don't think MLB has done a great job simulating a, a, a no fans environment. I think the NFL has done a pretty good job just with their, uh, in the broadcast with their tight shots and the crowd level noise and, and all that. Basketball, I don't know if, if I'm just taking too much from the NBA here because I don't think NBA crowds are that um, – have that much allure anyway. It's kind of all – you know, a lot, a lot of the non-OKC Utah Jazz type arenas are kind of corporate to me. Um, so maybe I'm taking too much from the NBA here because the bubble has been extremely entertaining and watchable for me, more so than most playoff years. Um, college basketball I do really, really love because of the student sections, fan engagement, the environment – but I still think basketball is going to be the easiest sport to watch with no fans. Just wanted to uh, get your take on that. No, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with that. Um, I think there are some times where you, you look at a conference tournament early, you know, that, that first day or that first morning of the second day and the crowd is really sparse and it's just the team's getting after it. And I think we're just going to see that for, you know, the whole season. So I'm already kind of used to that to begin with. 
it's just going to be on a much larger scale, obviously. Uh, but you're right. It's, you know, especially for me as a, as a Michigan State guy, having the, the is on, you know, psych people out with the fake shot clock, you know, <laughs> you know whether it counted down too early or having it go opposite and have them still have the ball as the clock runs out, like those kind of things I'll miss. Um, obviously the chance, you know, the, all the stuff that is great in college sports in general, like won't be there and that, and that will definitely feel different. But I just think basketball in general, guys just go out and play and, you know, you miss some intangible stuff, but at the end of the day, it's just ball. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to sometimes envision it right now, but uh, those scenes will come back. It's temporary. And for now, um, I don't know about you, but I'm just thrilled to have sports seemingly coming back pretty soon here. So um, absolutely, we can leave it there and keep the good vibes rolling into our next discussion. Sounds good to me. All right, H, thanks for jumping on. As always, good to have you back in, in the fold here. And um, talk soon. Sounds good, man. Weekly, back at it. Let's do it. All right, thanks one more time to H and David Lighty for joining the show. Going to try and keep the podcast coming at a regular cadence as we get into football season and basketball. Um, things are stacking up for sure. And uh, we want to at least get an episode out every week or two. We mentioned, uh, ideally, we have at least one per week. So as long as guests uh, keep agreeing to come on and people keep tuning in, we'll continue to to pump out the episodes. And we appreciate you listening, as always. Um, Thanks, as always, to Julie Bronder for producing the show. And um, to everyone out there for continuing to tune in or if it's your first time. Thank you uh, for listening, and I just wanted to issue a reminder that you can find the Take 10 Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, um, Podbean, pretty much anywhere where podcasts are found these days. And then we also are on YouTube. You've been listening in traditional podcast format. Don't forget you can see these interviews as well. See the guests. See the reactions to my questions on YouTube. Uh, It's the Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. And there's a playlist for every Take 10 podcast episode. Please like, rate, review, all that good stuff while you're there. And keep coming back each week. And we will talk to you soon here on the Take 10 podcast.